the volume. The Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. They're America's number one sportsbook for a reason, y'all. It's so easy to use. It's safe and secure. That's one of the main things for me. I don't want any BS. I love that there's no BS with FanDuel. Plus, you get your winnings fast. Now winnings are delivered in as quick as two hours. Plus, it's super fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. It's awesome. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee, that's R-E-N-E-E, so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona 18887897777 or visit ccpg.org/chat for Connecticut 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com/rg for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania and Virginia 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789 and 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the sessions. I've got a great guest lined up for you as we always do. So joining me today on the show is Swerve Strickland. He is one half of the AEW Tag Team Champions. Uh, Had a really great sit down with him. But before we get to that, I want to let you guys know about NetSuite. So 2000, 2008, 2022, when it comes to the economy, those are some pretty scary years. There's a dot-com crash, the housing crash, and of course, the roller coaster that we are going through right now. Uh, And one thing is for certain, it is a dangerous time to not know your numbers. But over 31,000 businesses have the confidence and clarity that they need because they rely on NetSuite by Oracle, the number one cloud financial system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control over your financials, your inventory, HR, planning, and budgeting so that you can manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything that you need all in one place. So how do you prepare for uncertain times? The answer, NetSuite. So NetSuite helps you identify rising costs, automate your business processes, and easily see where you can save money. That's why 93% of customers say that they improve their visibility and control when they upgraded to NetSuite. So what are you waiting for? Right now, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head to netsuite.com slash sessions right now. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E.com slash sessions. Get on it. Get you some NetSuite with Oracle. All right, guys, without further ado, it's time to get into it. Swerve Strickland is the guest on this episode of The Sessions. Plenty of things to get into with this guy uh, talking about his entire journey uh, as a professional wrestler, as a musician, as a dad, checking off all of these boxes. The guy is interesting as all hell. Here he is, Swerve Strickland. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited that this is finally happening. And let me just preface this by saying I'm not very good at booking the show. I will like get busy doing things. And I'm like, oh my God, what are we doing? We need guests. We're doing blah, blah, blah. But every time I pass you when I'm backstage at AEW, I'm like, ah, I got to get Swerve on the show. Like this needs to happen. So um, I'm really happy that finally we are getting to do this. Me too. Me too. Every time I see you come through, I'm just like, oh man. Like that's that's a bucket list right there. I'm like, ah, every time it's always beautiful to see you and like always, you know, humbling for me, you know, especially in this media game that we do. But man, I was just like, I was like, ah, that right there. We got to we got to make that happen. And now we get to do it. So here's my big takeaway that every time I see you and we have these little like quick meetings saying, hey, and it's always just like a quick ships passing in the night kind of situation. You just come across as like the coolest dude in the room. There's just something very like effortlessly cool about you. So my question to you right off the top is who do you find cool? 
Who are the people around you that you find cool? Who are the inspirations that like are the people that you just want to like hang with? Honestly, the people that I'm really like connected with in the music industry, I think are the coolest people in the world. It's very parallel to what we do. They're in front of thousands of people doing what they do, for, but they have to put on that persona in a sense as well to move the music, move the visual, move the performance, move the people. We got to do the same thing. I feel like I relate to those people so much. Like I feel like the first real hip hop rap guys I've been around were like the Flatbush Zombies. You know, it was like Juice, Meech, and Eric are, to me, are the coolest people on planet Earth. And then hanging out with them outside of just music and being around the elements of pro wrestling and uh, the music industry, I relate to them so much. And they relate to me on so many different ways as people. I think that's what made them cool to me. So I feel like I'm just trying to exude that type of coolness in a sense of like being a person and then being a performer and balancing both. There's like... I think that's what personify cool to me. What is your take on having guys like Action Bronson step in with you guys, having West Side Gun step in with you guys to to what Bad Bunny was doing um, in WWE, like seeing these guys from the music industry stepping into your world? And who are some other people that you would like to see there? Like, who do you want to have walk you out to the ring? I've always been a big advocate for the crossover and sports and media and entertainment. Now we're seeing like Dwayne Johnson announced that the Super Bowl and things like that. It's those same type of parallels that we're just like transferring over. And like, I've always been a big proponent for it. I love it. I always wanted to do that in AEW. AEW has been doing it way before I got here. But um, I noticed like, since I've been there, there was like, man, we have I haven't seen any of these crossover like acts in a while. And I had a connection make the Kevin Gates thing that we did happen. And I was like, man, I feel like we can bring that back to life and provide something that has been missing for quite some time on the show, especially for like hip hop culture and African-American culture and stuff like that. I think that made influence ripple through the industry. You know, even when um, when we did L.A. right after Double or Nothing, I brought in Jeff Hamilton to do like a little one minute backstage with me and hip hop heads, true hip hop heads through like music industry and fashion were like yo what is he doing here on aw and wrestling <laughs> and uh, yeah and in the, some there's like um critiques about it like what, what was this for it was like a minute what, what was that put on tv for like and some wrestling fans were like what, what, what like i don't understand what the purpose of that was i'm like well you guys are already watching it wasn't for you as fans it was for these people that want to like wrestling but they're so hesitant because they don't see representation on certain shows so now it was just like just having that Oh, Jeff Hamilton, he just did the NBA 75 jackets for LeBron James and Steph Curry and all these guys. What is he doing at AEW? Oh, they're in the forum. The NBA is a historic thing. And then at the same time, the Showtime Lakers television show on HBO Max was popping at the same time. So there was a lot of historical things. And that's a pop culture thing that's just like that goes all the way through. It's not just you don't have to be wrestling fan to appreciate those connections. And that's what I try to find in those things. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, too, because I feel like sometimes if you're just like grabbing a celebrity to grab a celebrity and maybe it doesn't make sense, it's like a, you know, square peg, round hole, whatever. Um, I feel like fans can be like, why are we doing this? I don't like this side of wrestling. I always love having like that celebrity influence in professional wrestling. I just think it's always fun to see somebody else kind of like dabble in our world. But yeah, when it is something that brings in this other audience and the people that get it, that get it and make all these connections, it's such it's far more organic. Um, and I love the way that AEW has been doing that lately and yeah, getting like some really cool people in there. Um, and hopefully, I mean, damn, let's just keep that growing, get more people in there and get those big reactions. Um, and it is really cool too. Like you said, the, the connection between the hip hop world and the pro wrestling world, because there really is a huge connection there. I mean, I just see stuff fall like, you know, whether it's on social media or whatever, and that thread just seems to be getting like bigger and bigger and bigger. What do you want to see happen more between like the hip hop world and pro wrestling? I want to see us uh, transfer over there to that side a little bit more. Because when you look at a lot of like wrestling that gets involved with the rap and music or doing it, it's always it feels like it's very caricature or there's a parody of the music. And some people can't take it seriously because they don't feel like that's being taken seriously as the art. They feel like, oh, you're dressing that way. You 
found a way to speak that way and you figured out some rap cadences and bars and stuff and little tricks to entertain the crowd. But can you really get into like a, a cypher session? Can you really hop on, you know, Funk Master Flex and like give us a hot 64? Can you do a LA Leakers freestyle? Can you really sell a record? Can you really like tour? And how do you compare in other ways to an actual wordsmith and an actual MC? It's the same way people compare like what we do as pro wrestlers when you see like, oh, he has some martial arts background. Okay, can you UFC fight? Can you really fight? It's the same parallel on the other side with music. And I try to like thin that much as possible what I do as far as my music. You know, like I don't have wrestling references and bars in any of my music. I try to stay away from bringing wrestling elements into it. I I try to make it two completely different things, which is why you don't really see me rap on TV and wrestling as much. Do you ever kind of question yourself on that? Because even like with me doing this show, it's like, I love wrestling. Wrestling will always be the bread and butter of what this show is, of what my career is. But when I have on people that aren't from this world and it doesn't always have that same appeal, the fans are like, no, we just want wrestling, period. Do you find that with your music of trying to like keep them separate, but also your fans of you as a professional wrestler maybe want to hear more wrestling in in your music? All the time. I, I do. I have it with the podcast, with the Source City podcast as well. Yeah. People think yeah. they just want to see me, my wrestling friends come on and talk. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, we'll, ha- we'll have a Lisa Ann on. We'll have. <laughs> yeah. How great is Lisa Ann? She's the shit. She's awesome. You know, she is. And that, that, that like shocked a lot of people like, whoa, how do y'all have that connection? It's like, don't worry about <laughs> yeah. it. We just, we just watch the show. Yeah. Subscribe. Keep yes. it moving. You know, uh, we'll, we'll yeah. bring Donnell, like music legends like Donnell Jones, who wrote for Usher and like has his own legendary catalog of being do, being in studios with Leah and Left Eye and mm-hmm. like 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 you get a variety of things and I feel like when you start branching off and showcasing how wide you really stretch your your reach that's when people start like accepting it a little bit more rather than just like like oh no that's cool but we want to see wrestling I'm like you'll see that we have that catalog trust me but we also have all this to offer and we have insight and they have insight. And there's a lot of like comparisons between these industries. And if you like really pay attention, watch the wrestling and then watch these other guests like a Brad Williams with comedy coming in, you know, when you, we had like uh, Pat McAfee come in and talk about certain things, uh, what he saw his parallels with going with like pro sports, pro wrestling and pro media. You see, we're not that far apart. There's a lot of parallels and we can come together on a lot of things. I always have to like remind myself of that too when we're like booking the show and bringing people on. Because sometimes you just got to like say fuck it and do the things that you want to do and have the conversations you want to have and make the art that you want to make. And the the crowds will either come or you get to scratch that itch either way. I feel like it really cracked something with Jericho on one of the last few episodes we did with Chris Jericho. And he said the same things that we said for like 50 episodes. He said the exact same things. So I was like, okay, like here's him doing saying it. We're barely talking wrestling with one of the greatest of all time. We're talking industry entertainment. I know. So you got to paint with those broader strokes sometimes. Um, okay. So music career, wrestling career, but you were also a dad. Dude, how do you juggle doing all of these things? Like both careers are so time consuming. Being a father, being on the road. How do you kind of strike the balance between doing all of these things? Uh, It all starts with the support system. Without the support system, I can't move at all. I won't be able to have like a base for my podcast, a base for my music and a base for my children. You know, I have two little girls. My oldest just turned 13. I saw. What a little cutie. First time seeing her in eyeliner. It messed me up. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Messed me up for the day. Um, But it was also cool to like the next morning me and Jess were able to go to our basketball one-on-one practices and see her do the drills and stuff. So being able to like be there for those moments and see that. And then it's just like, Oh man, this is our first practice as a 13 year old. Like now I'm seeing progression in her skill. It's like, not just like kids running around on the court. It's like running plays, pick rolls and, you know, like running an actual offense. I'm like, Oh, she's playing basketball, basketball. (laughs) You know what I mean? You know, but the mothers they have, they do a great job of just, being mothers and you know when i'm in town and uh, make the time they communicate very well they um allow me to just come in boom be the dad like hands off you take them go where you need to go i'm like hey 
there's a three hour drive to Brooklyn and Darby Allen's doing nitro circuit. He's going to jump a freaking 50 foot gap in a tricycle. Can I take the girls to see that? All right, sure. Cool. I'm like, and I can just have that freedom, just grab them and go. What do they think coming into your world like that? Whether they're like seeing you wrestle or seeing you perform to taking them to, to stuff like that. Are they into it? They get into it. They're, they're kind of like they're children. Cause they're like, Oh, how long is the drive? Oh, like how would you got to get there? Like, oh, can we stop and eat? Oh, can we still like, so they are children of when it comes to the process of what we're doing. How old are they? They're 13. And how old's the other one? 10, about to be 11 10. in December. Okay. But when they get there and they get in the mix, I'm like, I told you we're going to have a good time. Then they start <laughs> opening up and being like having, you know, having the time of their lives. But I, I got to go through that, that, that little like stint of just like, okay, Come on, everybody in time. Who has to take bathroom breaks? Who has to gra- yep. So you got to go through that little process. But once they get to, to where we're going, they always have a great time. And they're the best. They're well-behaved. I flew them to Seattle. We've flown, to, flown them down here to Orlando. I never had problems with them traveling at all. So I'm really blessed as a father for that matter. It gives me hope. Gives me hope. Putting these kids on a plane sometimes is like, oh, God. When's, you know, I'm dreading it, but it, you do what you do. You do what you got to do. You got to do. Uh, also, you got to push through. I did not know that you and Jesse were a couple. I did not know this. Yes, How long yes. have you guys been together? Two years now. Oh, two years. Yeah. that's awesome. Oh, yeah. You guys met at NXT, obviously. Yes, yes, we, yes, we had. Yeah. Was it love at first sight? A little romance right off the gate? It was uh, literally they were doing the PC shows, like the little in-house uh, events and she had like a segment that's under the Jesse show character and she came out with like this nerdy outfit like nerd glasses <laughs> right, right, Herman right. outfit like jean shorts and I was just like who is that is just like heart eyes ever since and it was like one of those moments like when we're setting up the ring and doing what the task we got to do it was just like kind of getting closer and closer hey want to help me put these ring aprons on <laughs> hey i'll help you put up those put, put up those curtains and drapes and and then there's just like little flirtatious little, little elbow bumps i'm like hey i don't have a ride to the show because my car got <laughs> the tire got slashed when can i ride with you yeah, help me out, please. And it just grew and grew and grew. And it was like, honestly, if anything, that, if anything, there was what that I took from NXT in my time in WWE, it was Jesse for sure. I know how that goes. I mean, listen, I had a great time when I was there, but who knew I was going to score a husband out of the whole deal? Didn't see that one in the bingo card, but here we are. Yeah, I got a family from them. I know. Gosh, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Um, okay, let's talk about you getting into pro wrestling and kind of, oh, I guess let's go back farther than that because you, you, I mean, growing up in a military family, you guys moved over to Germany when you were really young, right? You spent seven years there. Is Wikipedia right on that? Yes. Um, so I was born in Tacoma, Washington, and I was only there for about two months, I would say. My dad got restationed in Germany. So around two months old, I just literally flew from Tacoma, Washington, all the way to Germany. And I lived in Frankfurt, Germany, and Hanau, Budigen, and um, a couple other countries over there until I was eight years old. And that's when we came back to the States in York, Pennsylvania. And I grew up in there. How much of a mind fuck is that when you're a kid and you're living in like a foreign country? Were you speaking German? I wasn't. My older sister, uh, I don't know if she still grasped the language, but at that time she was went to a German school and she could uh, speak it pretty well. Did you go to an English school then? I was on base. I was an army base. So I was with other American kids. Yeah. Oh, I always wondered how that went. It's funny because my mom grew up that exact same way, pretty much also in Germany with her with her dad uh, in the army. They lived there for, uh, I'm actually not sure how many years. They were there for a little while though. Um, but yeah, she always talks about like how different like Christmas was there and like the, you know, like the oranges and the shoes and like all of these different like traditions and whatnot from over there. Um, what were some takeaways that you have from living in Germany? Those are like pretty like substantial years as a kid too to like up to eight years old like those are big years for a kid yeah as of right now like um looking back i'm like wow that's a pretty big deal like but as a kid i'm just being a kid i'm like oh there's a field of grass i'm gonna slide down it i don't not thinking it's like i'm in jersey or i'm in texas or i'm just like <laughs> yeah i'm in germany i'm like okay that i thought to me i felt like that's what families do that you know when you're in the military you just like kind of jump around so I was just like always a kid that was like um, appreciative of the, my surroundings. And I just 
put myself in it and I engulfed myself in it. I didn't worry about too much what was going on around me. I was just like, oh, I want to draw this picture. Um, and there's a house party going on because my family always do parties. And so there's always parties going on. I'm like, okay, I want to go draw a picture. I'm going to go upstairs. And I just cl- <laughs> closed, closed myself in the room. And I just drew not one. I drew like a wall full of pictures all the time while there's party and kids running around and having all this fun. I just wanted to draw pictures. Were you like an introverted kid? Did you, would you just do that? Like kind of go do your own thing? All the time. Uh, my mom, would, if she was here, she'd tell you the same story that she tells everybody. Is the fact that I would get up at like late at night, one in the morning. And this is how cool the neighborhood was. It was like a cul-de-sac and all the neighbors knew each other and were, they were pretty open as far as like their homes. I would just leave the house, leave my bed at one in the morning. I'd be hungry. And I'd just walk down leave the house, go like two houses down and go into the neighbor's home and just start eating snacks. <laughs> the kids with the good snacks. They're like, who's got the Dunkaroos? Give me those. Yep. I'm like, okay, they got gummy candies. I know they got them in that cupboard over there. <laughs> who's got the gushers? So, I, so like one in the morning, they do call my mom like, um, you, got, you know, you got your son over here. He's just, I mean, he's fine, but he's just eating snacks. They're like, what? And the, so my mom would come down and find me. Most of those stories are just always end with, uh, where's Stefan at? I would just leave. I would just leave. I'd go climb a tree and then get stuck in the tree. And I'm like, wait, where'd he go? And I'm like, I'm up here. But I was never in trouble. I just like just always wanted to do something that like I thought was made sense to me at the time. Was what was it like growing up in a military family? Were things kind of strict or like what was like that lifestyle like for you? Um, no, um, my dad was like a hard ass on me a little bit more, but he wasn't like uberly strict. I had a pretty like open, free family. I guess it sounds like it. You're just dipping out in the middle of the night, getting snacks and shit. <laughs> and, I, and, I, I never, and I never got in trouble for those kind of things. I was like, oh, he's just hungry. Okay, cool. My dad hated the loser mentality for me. He, he didn't like the fact that I would like give up on stuff. So I had a little basketball rim. I would try to lay it up or shoot free throws. And then I'd like, I get frustrated. I quit. And he'd be like, no, you're sitting here and you're going to do it to you. Like you figure it out. That's how I am now with a lot of like my career. I like, okay, I can't do it this way. This isn't working, but I'm going to figure it out. Where did your love of pro wrestling come from? I mean, when you're a kid, you're traveling around, you come back to the United States. Like, when did you kind of see it for the first time and go like, oh shit, what is happening here? My sister had, um, she had another friend and she, uh, she had another friend. She was in high school. I was in middle school at the time. And she, her friend had a younger brother. And my mom made me go with my sister to walk to a friend's house. So we went over there and they like, hey, this is my younger brother. And he was a big wrestling fan. And he was watching Armageddon Hell in a Cell on a tape he recorded the night before. So I was like, oh, man, this is crazy. Like, I, I never just watched consistently. But that was like, I was like, that was like my first memory of watching pro wrestling. And then he had, we watched the tape where Kishi got thrown off the cell. All the craziness happens. He got me into wrestling. Um, we moved away, found some other friends. And another school, and they were more up to date watching what was going on at the current product. And that was like SmackDown uh, 2002 era. And that's when Ray Mysterio debuted. And when Ray Mysterio debuted, I was hooked right away. I'm like, that's my guy. And I'm going to watch. I've been watching consistently. Oh, my gosh. That, that, yeah, it's, it's cool when you like find that thing that like instantly like – I always say to people too, if people are like, wait, wrestling, what am I? If you just watch, put on a show, you will find somebody that you can gravitate towards somebody, something, whether it's a storyline, a character, someone in the ring, what, whatever it is. Obviously, Rey Mysterio is a great one to start with. <laughs> and that's what I love about AEW. There's so much that we're putting on a, on a show that somebody's going to fall in love with somebody. It's impossible to not to. There's criticisms about like the formatting of, oh, like, why is this person here? Why is this person here? Because there's somebody to that the fans going to attach to and gravitate to. And also, I think there's something to the fact that people have been so kind of trained to how we're supposed to consume wrestling that now seeing it in a different way, people are like, wait, I'm not used to seeing it in this capacity. I don't understand that it's like that's the whole, you know, not that it's the whole purpose of something like AEW, but it is wrestling in a different way and it's giving people a different way to consume it and kind of break out the mold of how we think we're supposed to watch it and it's and it's choice it's it's choice to watch it as well like um i keep hearing criticisms and like all these podcasts and all these like review sites that just like oh 
this is how they do it. Why aren't they doing it like this? This is how they did it in the 80s. And this is how we did it in the 90s. And how we pulled ratings here. I'm like, cool. That's awesome. You can still go watch that shit. (laughs) But we're moving forward and we're moving in our own way. Allow people to move in their own way and find their footing. Because like, you're not going to figure everything out in the first year. You're not going to figure out in the second or third year. You're going to figure out like maybe in the eighth, maybe the 10th. Yeah, it is not an overnight thing. It's not like, yeah, 100%. It definitely takes time and it takes throwing like everything against the wall to see what sticks, what works. And the key is, yeah, realizing and learning as you're going. Get in on the Monday night football action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Join today to get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up with the promo code Renee, that's R-E-N-E-E, to get in on the action. Then you can turn game day into payday all season long, baby. You can play your way and bet on more than just the final score. Wager on everything from touchdowns to total yards to catches. You can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. Don't fumble your chance to get 150 bucks in free bets. Win or lose, just use the promo code Renee, R-E-N-E-E. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Disclaimer, 21 in select states. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 for Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467369 for New York. The TN Red Line, 1-800-889-9789 for Tennessee, 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming, or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. When did you actually start wrestling? What was like the first moment of like going to a school or doing like some backyard wrestling? What was like that first bump? <laughs> I was uh, backyard wrestling since I was like 15, I would say, around 15 years old. And that was like, not a real ring. It was like literally going around the neighborhood, finding mattresses. Yeah. Not very sanitary. Got a couch cushion. Yeah. yeah <laughs> not very sanitary. Wouldn't tell anybody to do that nowadays. But finding those mattresses that were laying around, you get a carpet and put it over it. Hey, we got a ring, y'all. We're wrestlers. So we just did a lot of dumb shit. Um, I first learned how to do a backflip was off a ladder into grass. That was my first ever backflip. So like my fear of like falling and hurting myself was like kind of gone early. My first year of wrestling, I was like, it was like 2018. I literally just grabbed all my stuff, moved down to Virginia, stayed at my mom's house. And um, I found a wrestling school that was around the corner. It's called Ground Zero Wrestling. My mom went with me the first day of training. She paid for my first month of training. Hell yeah, mom. Yeah. So she got me like started right away. I got addicted to it really quick. To me, it felt like a job because I was like, that's how much effort I was putting into it. Like I finally felt like I found something that I'm like, oh man, I feel like putting in all this work and effort into something actually mean something to me like it i wasn't getting paid to do it but it felt like i was and that's why i knew i was i found a passion for something you know like because money didn't matter to me of what i was getting out of it i felt like i was getting something more um but to pay for that i still did my military up in pennsylvania so i was doing three to four hour drives up and back once a month then my oldest was born so add that to the plate I worked a job at the, at a cemetery when my mom worked at. She was so oh, Wait, whoa, back that up. What was it like working at the cemetery? Holy shit. And are you haunted? Did anything attach itself to you? Tell me everything. Oh, no. I, I When five o'clock hit, I was gone. I was done for the day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. I'm like, they're okay, like hey, could okay. you run this back to no nope, evening shifts? Nope. Yeah. So it was a really simple job. Just like groundskeeper work. I would like drive the little gator thing around, like make sure place look nice, clean up this. Um, if you need, I needed to lay mulch in the front lawn, I'd lay some mulch on, like make the gardening look nice and stuff like that. I didn't do anything crazy. Okay. So you weren't digging graves. I had to dig one plot before and that was, but it wasn't bad. So I don't know how this happened with management, but they forgot to put the plot of the person, the cremated person in the (laughs) thing. So they just 
<laughs> they just filled the hole and nothing was in it. To be fair, though, would anyone have known if he was already cremated? I mean, no, but <laughs> morals, uh, morals, I guess. Yeah, right. right? <laughs> like, especially with death, like that's a big, pretty big lawsuit if you let that get out. Sure, but, sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So <gasps> that was like my one instance getting into a grave. It was just empty. But you were in it. Yeah, I had to go in it. How creepy was that? That's eerie as all hell. Six feet under the ground, like you only see that happen in movies. Before like a plot, like a um, like a cremation type plot, it's not that deep. It's like maybe like maybe three or four. So you're still like waist high. It's not like okay, you're looking up you're and covered. like yeah, <laughs> yeah. It wasn't that bad. But yeah, that was my only like. People ask me all the time, like, did you have like hauntings? Was it creepy? I'm like, no, I'm just like I was never there after dark. I was just driving the moped around. Sometimes there was nothing to do, so I drive off to the very end and just like watch wrestling on my phone. And then like I would drive, like, oh, thirty minutes went by, I can come back around. So it was like, a really easy <laughs> job. So I did that oh to gosh. support. I did that for like a couple months to support me and stuff, and especially my child that was born wrestling military and then i joined started school at itt tech which was drafting and design so i was managing all that at 18 oh my god i was like there's no way i can support do all this and still be there for my child and wrestling and all that stuff so i ended up just dropping school and just getting a job and it's going 100 percent into wrestling was there times during that i mean having a kid so young and at that age while you are figuring things out did you ever consider like maybe i shouldn't be dabbling in wrestling and i should just like go get a regular nine to five job to like pay bills and whatnot that was told to me but i was stubborn and told him like no i can do it i can figure it out it's, it's not going to be easy but it's not impossible and all i needed was the fact that it wasn't impossible to figure it out and that like hurt a lot of feelings those things like cost me a lot of relationships. It cost me relationships with parents sometimes because no parent wants to see their son struggling, especially when they're a father now. I was told to like just go full time active duty in military, but I'm like, but where do I fit in wrestling if I'm doing active duty? They're like, oh, like I don't know. Like, so I'm like, then I'm not doing it. Like, I was just so determined because I knew how I felt inside and it wasn't, it was my vision looking forward on things that. It was only for me to see and nobody else can see it because the hardest thing that you realize as you get older and you start feeling you're progressing and you're getting somewhere and doing things with, especially with your dream, chasing a dream is that your loved ones, your parents, your girlfriend, the, your brother, sister, cousins, whoever it is, they can be the most deterring people in chasing a dream because they want the best for you and they don't want to see you hurt. So they want to stop you before you get to the point where you get hurt. But that's where the wall you got to push through to get to that success. You have to get hurt. You have to I keep telling. I try to tell people who ask me advice now. I'm like, don't be afraid to get hurt. Absorb that. Take that punishment because that's going to build your Kevlar to keep going. All the um, lessons and all the reasons and all the lists, of, laundry list of ways you shouldn't be doing it. Flip that into the reasons that why you should and why you can accomplish it rather than why you can't and the things that are in your way. And that's what uh, my mindset was. Yeah, it's so funny when you think back to like those years too. And you're right, when like your family, they want to protect you and sometimes they don't have the same vision as what you have or they're unfamiliar with this world. I mean, what does your family know about the professional wrestling world? And I had the same thing with my family to a degree. I remember my mom was like, she totally supported me in everything that I wanted to do, but she was like, if you don't have success by like 25, you should probably start doing something else. And at the time when I'm, when I was like 18, I was like, oh, okay. You know, I'm like doing the math. I'm like, well, it gives me a little bit of time to like hit the pavement and get some shit done. But in reality, to build a career takes so long and to have like any amount of like, you know, depending on what you're even looking at for grading success was like, holy shit. I got to get to work and I got to get something to happen. Otherwise, I'm not going to have this kind of support. It's a bad feeling, too, when you feel like people are doubting you. And you're like, oh, my God, wait, maybe I can't do this. It can freak you out. The doubt kind of like triggered me to like prove them wrong. I've said this on other um, interviews before. It's like, honestly, I don't know if it's a good thing, a healthy thing, or it causes depression or whatever I'm going through at the moment as an adult. but. That kind of emotion, that feeling drives me to do more. It always does, especially when I'm not expected to overachieve something or exceed the expectations of myself. Yeah. So the, I kind of like the resentment and the spite is kind of where I like dip into like 
that's my fuel and fire a little bit. And maybe it shouldn't be because maybe like I was like watching the episode of Atlanta with Donald Glover and stuff. And he had a therapy session and he was just like, are you trying to achieve your goals for you? Or are you trying to achieve the goals through them? The people that you are spiteful towards. And it got me thinking, I'm like, am I trying to accomplish this to get that feeling of like, I achieved the goal that I, I always wanted to do? Or did I, am I accomplishing to get the feeling of like, I told you, I told you I could do it. But for me, it's just like, ah, it keeps me going. I, I don't know. I, I kind of like the feeling. Okay. So that being said, let's talk about your time in WWE, being there, being a part of NXT. We talked earlier about um, you and Jesse meeting there and getting together and the success that you had while you were there, followed up by being released rather unexpectedly. What did that do to you in terms of like that feeling that we were just talking about of like, man... Is the world against me doing this? Why would I be released while having success? And definitely feel like there was like a spotlight on you in NXT and your your time there. It, it seemed like everything was on the up and up. So what was that like for you to be released like that unexpectedly? It's, it's interesting to see that um, uh, people had that thought about me. Like I was on the up and up in NXT and I was like, oh man, you were getting a lot of success. But at the time, there was like no chatter about me in NXT at all because for that first year, like, I felt like I was just like a good hand to have. And that's also what built up a lot of like that resentment is starting to build a little bit because I put over the Leo Rushes. I put over the Cameron Grimes's. I put over the Sanchez Escobar's. I put over, you know, the Bronson Reeds, the Austin Theories. I kept putting all these people over. Even when um, MSK first came in, their debut was against me. I put them over. I put over Leon Ruffs. So it was just like, okay. And I had like a couple conversations with Triple H. I'm like, when am I going to be your guy? What is it going to take for me to be your guy? I had three, three specific conversations with him. I'll never forget him that I always push the envelope for. Even I text him one day. I was like, can I have a conversation with you? He's like, oh, is there anything that you can talk to Matt Bloom about? I was like, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's like, okay, okay. And then like, I would like stare holes in him all day at production. Just like, I wanted them to feel the heat that I was like glaring on him. And finally, like when we did have a conversation, I'm like, what is your hesitation putting the ball in my hands. And he gave me like the answers that kind of felt like they were repetitious answers from this person asking them, this person asking them, and the one before. And I was like, okay, I got it. So I knew keep tapping that egg, it wasn't going to work. So I'm like, okay, here's me. I got to be creative. I got to think again. So I went to Sean. Me and Sean, uh, Michael started really like sitting down, having hour long tape studies, just me and him, no distractions, not in the middle of TV day. It was just me and him in the office. We were watching me and, and Matt Riddle from Defy Wrestling. We were watching my PCW Ultra stuff from LA. We were watching like other stuff. I'm like, okay, I want to watch what got you here. Why are you here? That's what I, that's the person I want to see. And that's what turned everything around for me. So it took like a year of like doing all that stuff to get to that point to be able to do that, to have that equity to even get that like, conversation that window open and then it was just like okay cool and that's where the it started really turning around that's where like my hair color started changing my, the, put the grills in my mouth and all that other stuff i really started dabbing into the hip-hop feel of things and me and bronson had another tv match uh jonah and we just went at it because like i feel like triple h didn't feel like i was like intense enough and I was like, okay. So we just beat the crap out of each other. Boom, had a banger. And then it was like, that's the one the light bulb went off for them. And then Stephanie McMahon came up and said, you're like my favorite heel. You're my favorite heel here. And then I, then everything just kind of whirlwind and went up from there. Oh, that's cool. That's when Hit Row started forming. They, they literally, the hit makers, they put them with me. And we just grew, uh, formed this family type vibe. And it was really cool because like uh, AJ was like the godfather of like, templating a lot of what we would say and what we would do. So he would build the tree and we would all just implement all our stuff. It was cool because every every week of promoing, we would like rotate the who's the who's the head of the dragon that week. Then that's what made every promo unique. We didn't have a formulaic thing where you're like, oh, this, this they're doing that thing again. We never had that. It was like, oh, to who do you, you need to be the centerfold this one because like you're falling back here. We need to push you up here this week. So boom, he would like ignite the fire, be the aggressive one. And then Brianna would be this. Then we would have little bets between us. I'm like, all right, who's not going to flub a line today? All right, cool. 
anybody flubs the line, you got to put $25 on. So we were like trying to get through it without like flubbing the line. And so like, and Brianna was like so professional. She never, never, not one time skipped a line on nothing, never flubbed the line. She was always on point. So we was always like doing these little things. Um, getting called up was awesome. That felt like, um, it felt like the misfits finally won, you know, like you can't deny us anymore. That's what it felt like uh, that win. Like, cause it, you know, in every industry, every promotion, there's favorites. It's not, I wouldn't call them as much favorites, but they're the go-to guys for the product. You know, you're going, you know what you're going to get when you put these guys on and they're positioned that way for a reason. But it was like, we can do that too. And we can do it differently. We're not saying better. We're not saying we're going to like pop the rating to a whole new thing, but we can do this differently and it's going to be different and unique. And that's all we asked for. And then we got it. We finally got it for those like five months of NXT. We got it. We were prominent. We didn't tread into anybody else's lane. Nobody treaded into ours. We were here moving forward. And um, I feel like main roster happened and everything. They didn't take that same chance that a Sean would. How frustrating was that to like to step into that world? I mean, I've had this conversation. I've been there, you know, obviously I've witnessed this firsthand. But to have that success and feel like, okay, we're getting somewhere, shit is on track, then you're like, you know, everyone's always clamoring to get that main roster call up, then you get it, and it's not what you thought it was going to be. It hit hard because they got rid of Brianna right away. It was like, oh, that indicated to me and everybody else. was like, I don't think they believe in us as much as they think they should believe in us. For me, the writing was on the walls. I'm like, oh, okay. There's not as far as we can go if they're already just like dismantling pieces like Legos off the bat. And especially the time where WWE was going, everybody was kind of like flying off the shelf left and right. It was literally like uh, the movie Nope. People just getting sucked into the sky and it was like, oh, okay, he's gone now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that once again reignited a whole new fire in me. And when I got let go, it was like, oh, I'm going to hit the phones and I'm going to like make myself the hottest commodity in wrestling. The first two days was like a little rough, but then it's like um, I remember watching uh, uh, Drake Maverick, his promo video. He's like, that phone's always going to ring. It always does. And it's like, you know what? That man is right. Sure enough, the phone started ringing. I started getting options and I took a trip to L.A. to try to like, okay, I can't just go in as just me as the wrestler. I got to come in with like a whole bunch of assets that I can attribute to any product that I'm going to go to. So I just went went to L.A. for like two weeks in Hollywood. I met some people in entertainment, um, met some producers. Literally, I built a team over there that supported me and my podcast and all these other things and my music. So when I got signed, it was like, oh, uh, by the way, I'm not just coming here with like, I don't want to just do your like get a music entrance song applied to me. I have music already. Oh, and this guy that did it, um, he won two Grammys. So what do we have? So he's like, okay, yeah, let's do that. Okay, cool. So now that set me apart. Then it was like, okay, we, um, I'm doing this. I'm making these appearances. I'm going to the Grammys. I'm going to this. I'm going to do that. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Oh, by the way, I have Kevin Gates. We can bring him in. Oh, oh, okay, cool. So like right away, I was just like the first three months in AEW made me completely forget about my last three years in WWE. Because <laughs> it's just like I put all that focus and energy and that resentment and stuff into building something, you know? and now it's like I'm here seven months and I truly believe without a shadow of a doubt, I'm the best acquisition of 2022 in any company, you know, because I'm I've been consistent. I'm here. I'm like, you don't just see me on a wrestling ring. You see me every which way. Like there's a camera. I'm going to be in it. I'm, there's an interview. I'm going to be in front of it. There's a song. I'm going to be rapping on it. There's an artist. I'm going to be here. Like I want to be everywhere. And those big disappointments turn into big successes later on for me. Yeah, absolutely. It puts that chip on your shoulder that just kind of like grows, but it also forces you to kind of like reevaluate yourself and be like, okay, how can I use this, I guess, downtime to like rebuild and restructure this package? And yeah, like you said, here we are, 2022, and what a year you've been able to have thus far. Um, what is it like working with Tony? How has your time in AEW been and being paired up with somebody like Keith Lee? Me and Keith were like, we literally tagged on the indies before he got signed to WWE. And that was like 2017. He is someone who also has just the biggest chip on his shoulder as me because he was promised the world. And unfortunate for him, he got sick too. And it was like not a just an easy 
have some Robitussin and get back up and you're ready to go. No, he was like facing death and was like out of commission for a while, you know? So I felt like he had the chip on his shoulder for his career and for personal reasons with his life as well. It got to the point like, man, I don't want to let this man down. Like I, I was there in Texas watching him come out to the Royal Rumble. I was there at Survivor Series and watching him go one-on-one with Roman Reigns. I was there watching that live. And so that's the kind of person I have as a tag partner. That's who's on my side. I got to step my game up. I look at him as like literally one of the best like influences in our industry and the culture side in so many different ways. So just being able to just make him laugh every day at TV. Cause like, I just want to like crack a joke and then go out like, all right, see you out there. And then like, I go through the curtain. So now he's has such a good mood coming through, especially with a roster. So stacked like AEW. Like, I feel like it's easy to be overseen. I feel like our match at all out people expect, Oh, this is going to be a fun match. Cool. But nobody was expecting the match to be on the caliber. It was. And like the reaction, holy shit, like that crowd was bonkers. Um, And you guys, you had some pretty funny responses to people uh, online as well. Oh, yeah, because (laughs) like I feel like it wasn't supposed to happen. It wasn't like it wasn't like as much as like we didn't expect it to happen. Like, wait, this wasn't supposed to happen. It, it, It happens all the time. Like just like when me and Keith won the tag titles, it wasn't supposed to happen. Like instead of like giving us a congratulations, giving us our flowers. Oh, congratulations. It was just like, wait, what? Huh? I was like, oh, that's how you want to feel. Okay. We're just going to steal the show again and take it away from your favorites. I don't know what to tell you. So then again, on TV, we weren't advertised for the match with the Lucha Bros. It kind of came up that day. It was like, oh, cool. There's like a world title match. There's like, there's some good stuff on here. Okay. Time to do it again. And sure enough, we did it again because it's like, that's the competitive nature we have in us. We don't want to just be falling in line. We want to stand ahead of everybody. We have the ability to do it. So why wouldn't we? And the fact that nobody expects it from us, that's what makes us so special. And that's what makes the show so special because anybody can take it at any given time. Who wants it more? And we're, me and Keith are always going to come out there and show we want it more. Y'all got to try to work extra hard to try to top us. And that makes the product better. That makes the locker room better. It's just like, oh, shit, they did it again. Oh, my God. Why, what do we got to do? You got to get better. Keep the stakes high. Yep. Make everybody step up. Absolutely. And Tony respects that. And he loves that. Like now we're producing results for it, too. It's not just like just saying shit to say it. No, we're producing results. We're pop. We're like people believe in this. You hear that? You see that on the reports and all this other stuff? We're producing results and me and Tony are on the same page when it comes to a lot of these things, because we are going to produce results for it. We're not just going to say it just because it gets us to feel. No, it's going to produce something. It's super fun to watch. And it's, you know, you guys are in such a great spot and the tag division um, in AEW is so strong. I mean, geez, the depth of talent that you guys have out there is amazing um, and much continued success to you guys. But I need to talk to you about this because as I was talking to this, John and I talked about this a while ago, but I remember we were talking about you and he got so excited, like lit up talking about Killshot. He was like, that guy's Killshot. Oh my God. (laughs) So he was like, I didn't know who that was for the longest time. Like I had no idea who this Killshot guy was. Talk to me about Killshot and kind of like what you were able to accomplish as Killshot and kind of like putting your your stamp on the map. Well, it was funny because like in the locker room, he didn't have that same kind of energy when it presented <laughs> it to me. Because it was, it, I like I walk in, he was like he was like, "Hey, you that you're a Killshot, right? You that crazy <laughs> crazy match? Oh, I thought that guy retired or something. I don't know. I was like, no, no, that's me. I'm here. Like he's like, I thought Present. this guy just had." I thought this guy had that one great crazy match and then just walked away and then like never seen again. I'm like, John, we have the same tattoos. Like I've had the same tattoos since then. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> but, oh my God. So, so funny. That was, like, that was like two months ago. He brought that up to me. But that was a character like I came up with when I got brought in. Um, it was from Conan. Conan saw a match. I, I sent him a match of mine that I had with Mike Daly from CZW years ago. He had brought me to a tryout in L.A. And I did a bunch of scramble matches as dark matches. 
and stuff. And they were like, oh, man, you can go. We like them. So they put me on the mask, put me in a tag in a trios with uh, Big Rick and Willie Mack. And they were like, OK, you come up with the character. We'll make the mask all based off what you come up with. So me and a buddy of mine were just like, we came up with Kill Shot. So it was Deadshot and Deathstroke. Those really cool characters for Batman and all that stuff. Um, I did the season. I had fun matches, but I didn't have like a character direction. Uh, I had to talk with Conan by the ringside and they were doing Ultima Lucha, which is like their WrestleMania Ultima Lucha uh, for the season. And I wasn't on it. And he was like, hey, man, you look a little down, bro. I was like, oh, man, I just, you know, I just want to just do more. You know, I want to contribute to the show. He's like, what you can do to get on shows like this, you got to step out and like really bring it. Like there's some guys can jump the card because they do something exponentially cool. Some guys jump the card because they have that charisma. That's just you can't deny it. So you got to put them on. You got to find your way. And I was like, challenge accepted. Season two came around. Uh, during that break, I wrote the whole backstory for the character and presented it to them. They loved it. And so they they came up with all these like video shoots and all these vignettes that I was going to shoot, like me in the desert shooting, killing terrorists and stuff. So that already set me aside from everybody. That I was an actual human person, a military person with skills, but I can be hurt. I wasn't a mythical creature character. When, from a Mayan Aztecian background or heritage, I wasn't a luchador. I wore a mask, but I wasn't a luchador. So that put me in a lane as like a human being. And what I really started playing with when me and Marty the Mall started having the feud, he wasn't like the best, like the biggest luchador. He wasn't like couldn't fly around as fluently as like a Ricochet, a Johnny Mundo, Angelico, Jack Evans, Phoenix, Penta, just naming those guys. It's like this is like the most athletic roster in wrestling history. So instead, we just like, yo, let's just like fight. Let's actually fight because you're bigger than me, but you're psychotic. I'm smaller than you, but I have skills and I will not give up. We just started going at it. And that grew interest in, in a few that was like kind of like kind of set to the side. It got to a prominent role and they was like, OK, we need to put this on TV because these guys are killing each other. Then that went to the weapons of mass destruction match. That character created Dante Fox. That when they brought in AR Fox. So now my character, the story that I wrote is bringing in other characters from my story. And so now my work, my, my little universe is expanding to is creating people. We feuded all the way to the end of season three and we stole the show by having a hell of a war match, which was like the two out of three falls. But it was like the first one was first blood match, which I wore a mask. He didn't. Oh, who's going to bleed? So we flipped it and made it me going through a pane of glass and now I'm bleeding from the back. So everybody's expectation was like, oh, snap, I didn't see that coming. So, and that's what we loved about that match was just like every expectation you thought was going to happen, we flipped it and did the opposite and then made a better story. And throughout the season, we had matches and tag matches and stuff, but I always made sure Fox was bigger, stronger, and better than me because I wanted him to be the saber tooth to my Wolverine. Like, it's like, man, how do I beat this guy? And then I want people watching. How does he beat this guy? How does he do it? So a lot of his unselfishness went into doing so matches like that and doing a story to build up to such a big, great match, because it's just like my opponent was my machine I'm building. I'm building him because I have to take him down, but I don't want it to be 50-50. No, it should be like, I have to go through hell to take you out because there's no other way. And like, and I take a lot of movie scenes. It's just like oh, the villain always falls off some long fall, <laughs> some building at the end because the hero's like on one, this last dying breath and stuff. So I was like, what if we did the fall and you went through all this glass? He was like, okay. I'm like, are you, are you sure you want to do this by yourself? I'll go with you and we can make it like a whatever. He's like, no, no, I'm the villain, bro. I got to do it. So <laughs> did a fake glass thing. Boom. Hit him in the head. He takes the plummet and the whole story was so poetic because like I left him for dead in the military overseas and we were at war. So and the um, warrior ethos is no soldier left behind. So when he fell, he boom, he vanquished in the glass. I picked him up and put my soldier in the military evac because there's no soldier left behind. So that's a military ethos that we all oh, live so by. Cool. So it was really cool to see see something all the way through like that. And them having the freedom to like, we're hands off. Y'all got 40 minutes. Just go. 
Football fans, check out the Three and Out podcast with John Middlecoff only on the Volume Podcast Network. John brings his unique perspective as an ex-NFL scout to the volume to break down all the news around the NFL and college football. Whether you're looking for game predictions, coaching searches, the ins and outs of the NFL front office, even an occasional golf tip, John has you covered. Download Three and Out with John Middlecoff only on the Volume Podcast Network. Dude, you pull from so many references. I mean, during this interview from like the music that you pull from, you've mentioned different comic books from Wolverine and Batman and whatnot to the movie Nope, like all these different worlds. How like does your brain ever shut off or are you just constantly like eyes open, ears open? What can I use? What can I use to parlay into wrestling, into music? Um, no, it's, I'm like receptive to everything because I feel like that's kind of like what builds what we love so much. I watch a lot of movies. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a cinema person. What is your thing right now? What are you watching? What are you watching or what are you listening to? Is there something that you're like super into at this exact moment? I watched, uh, the cyberpunk edge runners show on Netflix that just popped, that just came up. Um, there's a, it's very unique artly done. It's crazy, super violent, super brutal. Um, so if you do check it out, forewarning, um, it's crazy. It's 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 brutal. I'm a video game guy. I'm a, my favorite thing. My favorite video game of all time, the series of Metal Gear, which is like super super deep and espionage and all this other stuff. Um, music wise, uh, man, my man Michi Darko just dropped an album from Flatbush Zombies, which is really awesome really great he experiments with his vocals his voice he can manipulate his voice in such different ranges it's awesome i'm a gambino guy kanye of course all-time favorite travis scott tyler creator tyler creator is one of the most brilliant minds in music period not just hip-hop but music period me and jess went to see him live when he came to orlando at the amway center inspiring those are the guys that inspire me like crazy asap rocky love his music videos just kendrick pushes the boundaries every album pushes the sound he does it in such a way that nobody can duplicate him and when you do hear it you see the influence when other artists do it like i i just like following the guys that like set the tone on something and then i love following the guys that took that tone and then now they just revised it and flipped it and made it their own and i was like oh my god how did he take that and it's like there's times i've made i took in um musical performances and put them in matches just because I just wanted the camera shot the same way. And I put it in a match. I don't even know if it'd work. I'm like, I have no idea if the crowd will even respond to that. But if I believe in it, they'll believe in it. So I just do shit sometimes. They'll be like, how are you going to get to that? I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> We'll see what happens, but just follow me because yeah, I need you certainly. to feel it too. Well, listen, dude, I'm so pumped that I got to have you on here. You're a fascinating person. It's been really fun to pick your brain and all the different aspects of the way you look at things to the way that you actually construct it and put it together. Um, and like I said, it's like just a success that you're having in AEW, the acquisition of 2022, you and Keith Lee together, uh, total blast to watch. And um, I'm going to see you out in New York. I'm going to be out at Arthur Ashe. I'll see you out there. We got a surprise for New York. So I'm just saying, letting people know, Ooh. letting you know. Oh. I'm like, it's my time okay. to turn it up again to the next level again. Okay. Yay. Okay. Well, I'm glad I'm going to be there in person to see this, whatever it is. All right. Appreciate it. I can't wait to see you and to chat with you more. Yeah, me too. Thanks, dude. Thank you. Thank you so much to Swerve Strickland for hanging out with me on the podcast. I'm so glad that we finally got to have this man on the show. Hopefully you got to learn a little bit more about him. He is a dynamic fellow. He is into all sorts of things. So I feel like we got to cover a plethora of different topics with this man. But um, he's kind of like that gift that just keeps on giving. There's always more layers to Swerve. Um, so I feel like this is one of those episodes where we might have to have him back on again. Um, and definitely looking forward to watching everything go down at Arthur Ashe Stadium. Actually, uh, about to get my ass out to New York myself so that I can witness this with my very own eyeballs. I can't wait. I'm so excited. Any New York recommendations? Hit your girl up. I've not been to the city in a while. So if there's something that I'm missing or something that's a must. By the way, I tried to buy tickets to go see um, Funny Girl. Uh, Broadway show 
I didn't get any tickets, so, but it would have been fun. Who doesn't want to see Leah Michelle just belt her little heart out? This, like, big star-making moment. She's already a star, but wow, a lot of controversy around this. Anyways, I wasn't planning on closing out an episode of the sessions about Swerve Strickland um, talking about Funny Girl, but that's what just happened. All right, guys, I'm out of here. Thank you for listening. As always, you guys are great. Um, If you guys want to leave a little comment about the show, we appreciate that very much. Um, I really do love reading through those things. Makes my little heart go pitter-patter. All right, guys, thanks for hanging out. This has been The Sessions. 